thankful for Mark, who helps us with our slides in the service for sharing his testimony with us today. And I'm grateful for all over the course of our series who've been willing to share a little bit about their journey of faith, which really causes me to wonder, I mean, what is your story? And if you were to try to express verbally the journey that has been yours, what might you say? Maybe to help you with this, here are some questions maybe you could think about to, to, to visualize what your story has been. Starting with, I mean, what was it that led you to believe in Jesus Christ? I know I'm, I'm presuming that maybe you've made that point of commitment, but if you have responded to Jesus in that way, well, what led you to do that? Mark was attending an event here and heard a message surrounding Jesus. I remember what led me. I was in a church service just like this, and the minister was preaching about Jesus Christ dying on the cross for my sin, and I was confronted by the depth of Jesus' love. I couldn't grasp how somebody loved me enough to die for me, and so that led me to believe in him. Second question, as you were being moved in that direction, how did you respond to Jesus? Now, I think that's an important question because you see, what we're describing in terms of the Christian journey is more than just a knowledge of who Jesus is, a general belief. It's descriptive of a response to Jesus. Now, when I heard the message about Jesus' love and what he was willing to do for me, I responded in faith. I asked Jesus to forgive me and to become a part of my life. I, I expressed my sincere desire to be a part of what he was doing as honestly as I knew how at the time. Well, what was your response? Do you recall? And then finally, I think this is an equally significant question. As we've responded to Jesus, if indeed you have, how would you describe your relationship with him today? How did you relate to Jesus this last week? I emphasize the third question because it really lines up with what has been the focus of our series this fall, where we've been considering the extraordinary impact that Jesus desires to make upon our lives. And we have been focusing on one primary passage, going back to it every week, at least reading it and thinking about it, where Jesus is talking uh, to a crowd and he explains the difference that he desires to make. And listen to what he says. I'm reading from John 10, verse uh, 7 through 11. Here's Jesus addressing our lives. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, that's the phrase that's highlighting the, the response, uh, the response of faith, where an individual chooses now to trust in who Jesus is, what Jesus is saying. He says now, if anyone enters by me, notice what Jesus guarantees, that person, he, she, will be saved. And Jesus says, that person will go in and out and find pasture. Jesus is highlighting how as we respond to him, he then assumes responsibility to lead us, to guide us, to interact with us, so that we discover life, real life within. 
Verse 10, the thief, notice the contrast, comes only to steal and kill and destroy. But then Jesus says, I, I, I want to imagine it with a smile on his face, I came that they might have life and have it abundantly. I, Jesus adds, am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Now, we've read this passage now. This is the fourth week. Let me remind us, Jesus is very clear. He's the key. He's the source of life that we need. And yet, in this passage, he's also trying to explain to us that as we recognize that, we need to trust him enough to follow him, to follow his lead. Later in that same chapter, Jesus says it this way, verse 27, my sheep hear my voice. I know them. They follow me. So as we've been learning, we not only need to turn to Jesus as the door, the source of life, we need to trust him enough to follow his lead. This past week, did you do that? I mean, this Sunday morning, how would you answer the question, am I following Jesus' lead? It's really a yes or no question. Are you? Are we? And if you think about that, what would prevent you from doing so? Now, if we say we believe in Jesus, who he is, so I'm, I'm going to, I guess, presume it's not a trust issue. You trust in him. So what would prevent you then from following what he would ask you to do? And what excuse might we give? Can I offer one possibility? I'm, I know this would never be descriptive of you, but... Is it possible that some would say, well, I trust Jesus, but I don't follow his lead at times because honestly, I think I know what's best for my life. Ever been there? Now, if we are completely transparent, everyone in this room, I'm at the front of the line, would have to say, I've done that. I've recognized Jesus has said something. He's trying to lead me in a way that I needed to follow. But as I thought about the implications for my life, I made the decision that I had a better understanding of what I needed than he did. And so instead of following him, I, like a wayward sheep, I just turned away. Now, if you see yourself in that a little bit, you should appreciate, as we've been reading through the Gospel of Matthew, we see that in Jesus' earliest disciples. Now, since we've started the series, I've asked the congregation to join me in reading through the Gospel of Matthew a chapter at a time, and that's what we've been trying to do, uh, just to gain some further insight about who Jesus is and trying to recognize ways he would lead us to go. And we've also been asking, I think, a relevant question, how would he have us to interact with others? Because Jesus says a lot about that. If you've been following with us this week, we've been in chapters 14 through 21. Did you notice how much Jesus talked about interpersonal relationships this week? A lot. Now, if for whatever reason you didn't join us in the reading, can I encourage you to start today? Just start with chapter 1. Or if you started and stopped, wherever you stopped, don't start over, 
pick up where you left off a chapter a day. And as you're doing that, just begin to ask Jesus to help you better understand who he is, to know how he's leading you to live, and then to recognize ways that you relate to the people around you. Join us in that. But if you've been participating in this week's reading, we have a rather uncomfortable example where one of Jesus' early followers actually thought he knew more than Jesus. It's found in Matthew chapter 16. And to me, it really is somewhat uncomfortable by what is described. Now, let's go ahead, and if you want to find it in your Bible, we're going to begin the reading with the 21st verse. Listen to what Matthew records. Now, from that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem. Let me pause. When I read that verse, what stood out to me was that simple phrase, from that time. Something has happened that now has affected Jesus focusing on a trip to Jerusalem. From that time, Matthew explains, Jesus began to move toward Jerusalem. Well, what kind of crossed my mind was the question, what time was that? Why did Jesus decide now to begin to set his face toward Jerusalem? And to answer that, if you have your Bible open, you look at the verses ahead of it. It actually explains the context of what we're looking at today. And the context is this, Jesus and his disciples had been ministering along the Sea of Galilee for an extended period of time, and he led the disciples to go north, about 25 miles to a place called Caesarea Philippi. I guess in a way was maybe trying to escape some of the growing crowds. And as he reached this destination, he then began to talk to the disciples about what they were hearing. See, everywhere they had gone, the crowds were growing and people were reacting to Jesus' miracles and teaching. And so Jesus asked, I think, uh, uh, the relevant question, what are the people saying? I mean, who are they saying that the Son of Man is? Well, the disciples, I think, probably spoke up pretty quickly. One of the disciples says, well, some people think you're actually John the Baptist who was beheaded, that you've come back from the dead. Now, that's quite... Uh, a statement to make. Someone else said, no, no, they're saying that you're Elijah. Now, if you read through the Old Testament, you'll find Elijah was kind of like the guy when it came to prophetic power. And so, as they're observing Jesus, some in the crowd are insinuating, maybe Elijah's come back. Maybe he's Elijah. Another said, no, I think they're, they're saying that you're Jeremiah. Or other prophets. Again, they're throwing out all of these possibilities, all of them impressive, if you think about the story surrounding each of the people. But as Jesus listens, he then looks at the disciples and he gets very pointed. Okay, I know what the crowds are saying. Who do you say that I am? In my mind, I imagine the disciples suddenly get very quiet is they're thinking about the implication of the question. Who do we believe he is? Who do we say he is? Suddenly Simon speaks up. Listen to what Simon says, verse 16. Simon replied, you, and this is emphatic on Simon's part, you, you are the Christ, 
Now the term Christ is the New Testament word for the word Messiah in the Old Testament. And if you read through the Old Testament, you'll realize that what the Old Testament points to is that God is going to send someone to address the deepest need of humanity. He's going to send the anointed one, which is the meaning of the word Christ. He's going to send the Messiah. And Simon, as he hears Jesus ask, well, who do you say that I am? He speaks up and says, you're the Messiah. You're the one that all of the Old Testament has been pointing to. That's who you are. Now that's an enormous confession. But Simon doesn't stop there. He then adds, and you are the son of the living God. Now I wonder if Simon is still replaying what he experienced back in chapter 14 when he saw Jesus walking on the water as if it's dry, dry land. And even more, remember if you were here last week, he heard Jesus say to him, come on out. And Simon himself, he, he was able to overcome the laws of nature and he was walking on the water, at least for a short period. And if you recall, at the end of that scene, all of the disciples, as Jesus enters the boat and the winds and the waves stop, they bow down and worship Jesus. A very significant moment in time. So perhaps it makes sense when Simon's asked the question, well, who do you think I am? Simon would say, you're not only the Messiah, just someone sent, you are God incarnate. You, you're the son of the living God. Do you believe that about Jesus? Interestingly, look at how Jesus responds. Verse 17, Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Simon, Barjona, that means son of John, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you but my Father who is in heaven. This is instructive. Jesus wants us to realize you don't come to recognize the wonderful truth surrounding Jesus on your own. This isn't something that you just manufacture because you applied your mind. The Bible declares we come to truly recognize Jesus for who he is because God himself is opening our eyes and we respond. Jesus says to Simon, listen, what you said is true. It's God that's helped you to understand that. See, when I responded to who Jesus is many years ago, I didn't come to see the beauty and the need of Jesus in my life on my own, nor did you. And if this morning you're still not sure about whether Jesus can or will make the difference in your life, would you be even courageous enough to do this? Why don't you pray and mean it? Jesus, help me to see you for who you are. I think something will happen, if you would. Well, I say all that, would you agree this is like a mountaintop moment, right? The disciples have come to better recognize the truth of Jesus. It's a mountain moment. And that's what is being referred to in verse 21. When Matthew writes from that 
time, from what time? From the moment when the disciples began to recognize Jesus as the Christ, the Son of the living God. From that time, notice, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem. In other words, Jesus is trying now to explain to them what his mission as the Messiah, the Son of God, will be. And what is it? Well, follow along in the 21st verse. They go to Jerusalem, and Jesus says, I will suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed. And on the third day, be raised. So here Jesus, responding to their growing understanding of who he is, explains to them, this is what I'm doing. And what's noteworthy about this on Jesus' part is we need to realize when Jesus was arrested, when Jesus was nailed to a cross, it was no surprise to him. The Romans didn't catch him off guard. He went to Jerusalem knowing full well what he would suffer. Those of you that have been reading this week, Jesus doesn't emphasize this just one time. Three times, chapter 16, chapter 17, chapter 20. He keeps coming back to it because you see, he, he realizes that the disciples, if they're not careful, they're gonna develop plans of their own. And Jesus says, you know, the Father has a plan that I'm committed to. I'm going to Jerusalem to suffer and die so that I might be raised up. Now, when I read this, I can't help but think about the courage of Jesus day after day to make his way to Jerusalem. Now, he says, I'm going to die. He, he, he does that with purpose. Now, those of you that have not yet made a commitment to Jesus, and there may be one or two of you that are still debating that, well, let me ask you this. If I could speak to you and tell you in some detail what's going to happen on Thursday, would you then listen to what I have to say on Friday? Probably so. That's not a natural capability to be able to, to predict something that way. Well, here's the deal. If you go to the Old Testament, as God was pointing to the Messiah, do you know that centuries before Jesus did what he did in Jerusalem to die for us, centuries before that, God was already revealing to the prophets what was going to happen. In fact, if you're still debating whether or not you're ready to trust in Jesus, just read this afternoon Isaiah 53. That's an Old Testament book. You can find it in the table of, of contents. You'll find it. Go to chapter 53. Just read what it says. And then go to Matthew 27 and read about how Jesus dies. And you know what you'll discover? Centuries before Jesus died on the cross, God was revealing that that's what's going to happen. It's powerful. Verse 6 of Isaiah 53 describes it this way. All we like sheep, interesting metaphor, have gone astray, and we've turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him, referring to this coming promised one, the suffering servant, on him the iniquity of us all. Jesus knew that that's what he was going to do in Jerusalem. 
If you read in Matthew 20 yesterday, listen to what Jesus says with regard to his mission. Verse 28, the son of man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. That's clear. Jesus was going to Jerusalem to die for me, for you, so that he could provide what's needed as the good shepherd so that we could find life. Jesus is laying it out there. Now, this is where it gets uncomfortable. I think Jesus is sharing his heart. Wouldn't you agree? Listen to what follows, verse 22. Peter took Jesus aside and began to rebuke him, correct him. Now, I don't know what's happened with Simon at this point. I don't know if walking a little bit on the water is starting to get to his head or, or hearing Jesus says, now you've been blessed by understanding who I am. I don't know what Simon is thinking, but somehow as he hears Jesus say, I'm going to Jerusalem to die, somehow Simon concludes that he knows better than Jesus. And he starts to rebuke him. And what does he say? Well, again, the verse indicates, he says, for be it from you, Lord, this shall never happen to you. What just happened there? Jesus is laying out the Father's plan, right? Simon, hearing Jesus, says, no, that can't be it. No, no, Jesus, you're wrong. I know what's best. There's no reason for you to suffer. You're not going to suffer. Jesus, you just need to hear me. Now, as I listen to Simon, again, maybe it's easy for us to point a finger of criticism, but then I'm hesitant to do so because how many times have I, how many times have you maybe had Jesus through God's word say, now this is where we're going. This is where you need to go. Even though it may be difficult, this is where we're headed. And your response was, hold on there, Jesus. I think I have a better understanding of what needs to happen. There's no reason for us to suffer in any of this. Uh, I think I know what's best. Ever done that? Now, through the week, uh, through the past few weeks, I've been asking you to approach Jesus Express your desire to follow Jesus as the shepherd, to read what he has to say from his word, to ask him to lead you. You tell me, if you've done that, were you never tempted to argue with what you read? In Matthew 18 this week, had a whole lot to say about forgiveness. Would you agree with me? Sometimes forgiveness is a very hard thing. Jesus had something to say about it. He's saying, this is where we're going. But did you react by saying, no, I don't think you know what's happened to me. I don't think you have a grasp of what's going on. No, no, Jesus, <laughs> I think I know what's best. Do we? Do you? See, I guess part of the difficulty is we kind of have a vision for our lives, don't we? We 
kind of imagine what we think should be. And when Jesus confronts that in a way that causes us to have to turn away from our own vision, that's hard, right? Listen to Jesus' reaction. This is kind of sobering. <laughs> Verse 23, Jesus turned and said to Peter, to Simon, Get behind me, Satan! <laughs> Ouch! You are a hindrance to me. Don't be misled. He's not insinuating that suddenly the devil took possession of Simon and now the devil is speaking through Simon. No. You know what's happening here? Simon thinks he knows what's best, which is clearly contrary to what Jesus has laid out. And Jesus, recognizing what's happening, calls him out. He says, listen, what you've done is you've lined up your thinking with the devil. So get behind me. The word devil or Satan means adversary. You've aligned yourself with the wrong line of thought. You're trying to trip me up. I think part of the identification with Satan takes you all the way back to Matthew 4, where as Jesus is beginning, beginning his public ministry, God leads him into the wilderness, and he fasts, led of God, for 40 days. I don't know which I would struggle with a day or two or three, 40 days without food. And at the end of the 40 days, the adversary, Satan, comes to him and begins to whisper in Jesus' ear. And this is what he whispered. Listen, why are you uncomfortable? If you're the son of God, why don't you turn these stones into bread? Why don't you meet your need? Why is God allowing you to be uncomfortable here? So he's trying to pull Jesus away from the Father's plan, isn't he? And he didn't stop there after Jesus responded by quoting scripture, which is instructive. He continues by offering other ways just to move away from what the Father planned. And now Simon, a couple of years later, is simply trying to achieve the same thing. You don't have to suffer, Jesus. Come on. Not you. You don't have to. And Jesus exposed the fallacy of his thinking. Jesus goes on to add, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. That could not be stated more clearly. See, in our lives, when we're debating whether we know what's better than Jesus. You know what we've done? We've kind of lined ourselves with the thinking of men collectively instead of embracing the wisdom of God. And so Jesus is saying, Simon, no. I'm the shepherd. I'm the one leading. Trust me. In a way, it's as if he's saying, now, come on. You need to focus, Simon. You've lost your focus. You're not paying attention in the way that you should. You need to focus where the true source of life is. I am the Messiah, the son of the living God. You need to focus on me, and instead of trying to kind of control me, you need to trust me enough to follow what I say. Focus on who I am, the source of life, and even more, focus on the long view not on the immediate. 
See, too often the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy by convincing us to act upon what is expedient. We see something in front of us that we think would be more comfortable, more enjoyable, whatever it may be, but we move kind of in terms of a short-term goal and we sacrifice the long view in the process. Jesus is trying to help Simon Peter realize what you're proposing is very short-sighted. I see the long view. And he goes on to elaborate on that, verse 24. Then Jesus turns to the disciples, the other disciples, and says, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Now let's break this down in a very simple way. What is Jesus asking the the disciples to do? If anyone would come after me, do it. Follow me. But in order to come after me, let's admit, you're going to deny yourself. Because as the shepherd, I'm going to lead you in ways that maybe within yourself you wouldn't naturally want to go. We naturally want to move toward the comfortable. Jesus is saying there will be occasions where I'm going to point this way, and in your heart you're going to want to go that way. But because you know life is in me, you're going to go with me. You're going to deny yourself. You're going to take a the cross, you're going to let that desire die so that you're with me. And what, you know, bothers me about this verse, some Christians read this verse and they think, oh, Jesus is asking so much. Seriously? He's offering so much. He's saying, you can be with me. And I think Jesus is the one who says, He will lead us in and out of pasture so that we find life. What kind of life? I think he said abundant. So to say no to myself in order to follow the one who is life, I don't think I'm giving up. I think I'm gaining. Wouldn't you agree? Jesus carries the thought further. He goes on to say, for whoever would save his life will lose it. See, when when I refuse to trust him enough to follow him, I'm going to chase after those things which will actually diminish life. But whoever loses his life, denying himself, taking up his cross, following him, whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. It's the question of source. See, he, he's the source. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? I mean, this Sunday morning in October, for you, where is life found? Now, the thief is going to come and whisper. Jesus doesn't have your best interest in mind. He's going to lead you to suffering and hardship and difficulty. Ignoring the fact that even if he moves you into difficulty, guess what? He's there. And his presence renews the heart, awakens the mind. There's life with him. 
See, the best thing I can do any day of the week is to kneel before the one who is life and to say sincerely, Lord, my heart is empty. I need to be full. I need a wisdom to know how you want me to live because I know in following you, life is there. But if I'm not clear on the source, then I'm going to have this constant back and forth in terms of who I'm going to follow. John 10, what did Jesus say? I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out. See, long view, Jesus was willing to go to the cross so that he could do this for us. And find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. Can you sincerely say today, Lord Jesus, life is in you. Lead the way. Can you say that? Now, I don't want to give a false idea. If you say that, that doesn't mean that it's not going to be incredibly hard to say no to yourself. I think saying no to self is always hard on any level. But will I trust Jesus enough to say, not my will, but yours? See, it was hard for Jesus to finally go to the cross. As we will read this week in Matthew, he's going to go to what's called the Garden of Gethsemane, and he sees the cross in front of him, and he understands in, in, in a unique way that he could, that it will be horrible to take on the sin of the world for our sake. But see, he had the long view he trusted in the Father's plan, and he prayed, not my will, but thine. So see, he's not asking you to do anything that he hasn't done, but he is asking you to do it. And so this week, as you say, I, I want to follow you, get ready. You may read something that challenges the direction that you may not want to go. You don't want to sacrifice in that way or respond in that way, and you're going to find emotionally this tug of war. But the way you end the battle is you finally confess to the Lord, Lord, I trust you. Help me now to follow you in this way and mean it. I'm going to ask some of our members that have helped us in the last few weeks to go ahead and come forward. You may have noticed since I've returned from sabbatical, we've had people at the front. They're there not because they feel better than you. <laughs> they're there because they're uh, simply one of you, and they're wanting to be an encouragement and a help as all of us try to find our way through life. And I have them come forward at the end of every service so that, listen, if you're struggling with something, something, you just want somebody to pray for you so that you don't feel like you're crying out alone. They're here to pray with you. 
to join you in asking God for help. They're also here as some of you are trying to maybe follow what Jesus is asking you to do. Maybe as you've listened to me today, you had never trusted in Jesus before, but now you're ready. So the band's going to come up and they're going to sing. And as they're singing, you can come up and say, I want to follow Jesus. And they can talk with you and help you realize that you can. Jesus wants you to. Or if God would prompt you to take some other step, to maybe you feel like you've been attending and yet you've never really committed yourself to be a member and you want to discover what that would be, you can come and say, I want to I be a greater part of what God's doing here. They're here at the front just to walk with you, to encourage you, to be an extension of God's own activity towards you. So I'm going to ask you to stand. I'm going to voice a prayer. I'm going to ask, as God has spoken to your heart, let's just respond now. Even if you've been ignoring the shepherd's lead all this past week, today's the day for forgiveness and renewal so that we follow his lead into the week ahead. Let's not make excuses. Let's trust the shepherd. Father, I'm going to pray that you would speak in ways that individual hearts need to hear. I pray that you would well up within our heart's faith to trust you more. That you would place within us a courage even to say sincerely, I want to follow you even if it's uncomfortable. I want to follow you when it may not be popular. Because I know life is in you. Jesus, life is in you. So Holy Spirit of God, draw us into a fresh reality of Jesus presence and effect upon our lives. Stir us to act in ways that enable us to find life fresh in Jesus. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's respond.